Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, soften our hearts to the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, with revelation and wisdom of our Father and our Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, with power and deep conviction, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we began a new sermon series on grace, and our aim is to understand more of this wonderful word because it is rich and meaningful, partly because of its many uses and references in the Scriptures. And we saw previously that one of its uses is to talk about our spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives us to enable us to be part of God's mission. But our our passage today doesn't use grace in that manner. We read from Italia, Paul and Barnabas sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Earlier in chapter 13, these two men had been prayed for by the local church and sent on their way because the church had felt prompted to do this by the Holy Spirit. So what we read here in chapter 14 is telling us that those prayers were a committing of these Christians to the grace of God. And so grace here is not referring to spiritual gifts or to saving grace or to God's character of grace. So it raises the question, what is this grace? And what does it do? Because let's notice something else first. Despite being committed to the grace of God, despite being faithful and exemplary brothers in the faith, they faced hard times. In fact, a little earlier, if you go back earlier in chapter 14, we read of Paul being stoned in response to his labors for the Lord. And in the second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And I don't know about you, but looking at that list, there's part of me that says, What is so amazing about grace? If this is what Paul had to face, what is so amazing about grace? And I wonder, friends, if you can relate to that. In the hardships that you maybe face right now, are you maybe asking, what's so amazing about grace? Where are you, God? Why? How am I meant to cope with this? When will this end? Christians across the ages have shared these same questions and struggles. 
the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, who was used mightily of God in the 19th century, suffered recurring bouts of depression throughout his adult life. He was also simultaneously popular and unpopular in the stands he took, and often as a result would face ridicule, including from other pastors. Added to this was his need to provide relentless care for his wife, who was an invalid for most of their marriage. And on top of all that, if it wasn't enough, Spurgeon faced the last 20, a third of the last 27 years of his ministry out of the pulpit because of his own physical illness. There was hardly a weakness, an insult, a hardship or difficulty that Spurgeon didn't know personally. So what about you? What's your story? And in the midst of that story, are you asking, what's so amazing about grace? And to begin responding to that question, we need to turn to other passages. Later in the the same letter to the church in Corinth, Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, when I am weak, then I am strong. What does this passage say about grace. Well, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Notice the parallel, my power, my grace. So, when we receive the Lord's grace, we receive His power. But power for what? What does He give this power for? Well, based upon Paul's experience and his teaching, in part, God gives his grace, his power to sustain us, to sustain our faith, that we might persevere to the end. After all, in our passage from Acts, we read, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Core to the teaching of the early church was the awareness that hard times come, that in fact we will face such difficulties that it will potentially rock our faith, it will test our faith, and we may even be tempted simply to walk from Jesus. So what can help us persevere? What will hold us fast that we might persevere to the end and share in the perfection and glory of the kingdom of God when it comes? Well, the answer, my friends, is the grace of God. It is His power that sustains. Now, now maybe you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound like very much, Scott. I'd like a bit more. And I wonder if part of that thinking is because we want a Jesus who makes things right now. We want a Jesus who who meets our needs in the way we want them met. But as one commentator said, God did not change the situation by removing the affliction. He changed it by adding a new ingredient, grace. God did not give Paul any explanations. Instead, he gave him a promise, 
My grace is sufficient for thee. We do not live on explanations. We live on promises. For promises generate faith, and faith strengthens hope. I wonder, brothers and sisters, how's your faith doing? What's your level of hope? In the face of, of your hardships, how, how, how are you trying to persevere? Are, are you simply trying to kind of work up some more willpower and get through on your own strength? Or, or are you trying to resort to positive thinking and, and simply downplay the doubt and the hurt? Because Paul's perseverance didn't come from either of those approaches. Instead, he found in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ a power, a strength beyond any human capacity to emulate or duplicate. Earlier, I spoke of Charles Spurgeon and the great hardships he faced. And yet, he himself said this. It is easy to believe in grace for the past and the future, but to rest in it for the immediate necessity is true faith. At this moment, and at all moments which shall ever occur between now and glory, the grace of God will be sufficient for you. This sufficiency is declared without any limiting words. And there therefore I understand the passage to mean that the grace of our Lord Jesus is sufficient to uphold thee, sufficient to strengthen thee, sufficient to comfort thee, sufficient to enable thee to triumph over it, sufficient to bring thee out of 10,000 like it, sufficient to bring thee home to heaven. Whatever would be good for thee, Christ's grace is sufficient to bestow. Whatever would harm thee, his grace is sufficient to avert. Whatever thou desirest, his grace is sufficient to give thee, if it be good for thee. Whatever thou wouldst avoid, his grace can shield thee from it. If so, his wisdom shall dictate. Here, let me press upon you the pleasing opportunity of taking home now the promise personally at this moment. For no believer here need be under any fear, since for her or him also, at this very instant, the grace of the Lord Jesus is sufficient. Paul and Spurgeon, in the midst of their suffering, knew God's grace. In the face of any suffering, wherever, however, whenever they knew the grace of Christ to be sufficient. But let's not fall into easy errors in relation to these words or the words from Acts. Paul is not a theological masochist who glorifies suffering itself. Indeed, he prayed for deliverance from his hardships. What is more, Paul is not saying that only when you are weak do you have the grace and power of Jesus. Weakness is not its one and only condition. What is more, the experience of grace is not a reward or payment for suffering, nor must we seek suffering to receive grace, and not going through hardships does not earn us a place in the kingdom of God. So let's not misconstrue things from these weighty passages. Instead, let us see the invitation of God, the invitation of God to each of us, brothers and sisters, 
to have a grace, to have a power that is sufficient for any and every need we may face. Yet, yet, to find and receive this grace, there needs to be a response of trust. And so we come at last to our passage from Hebrews. Earlier we read, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If we want God's grace, if we want His power and His help in our time of need, then the response of trust is to approach Him. It's basically to have a relationship with Him and to come in prayer. That is how we find and receive the grace of God. The writer says we've, we've to approach, let us approach, and the idea in the original language is approach regularly, almost constantly. He says, too, we've, we've to come with confidence. As one commentator put it, approach with bold frankness. With bold frankness. That's the invitation of God to you. He's not a God who asks you to deny the situation. He's not a God that says, well, it's all karma, so it's your fault. Or it's because you're too attached to the physical world, and so again, it's your fault. No, 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 no. That's not our God. Our God is the God who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. We are to have this confidence. We are to pursue God this intently because He knows our experience. Jesus knows our experience. He shared the depth of our humanity, He shared the suffering of humanity. Our God does not stand aloof, but He sympathizes to the point of stepping into our brokenness and experiencing it Himself. That is our God. Yet, friends, how easy, how often, too easy, too often, we, we drift from God and we allow bitterness and self-pity to create distance between us and God. And in doing so, we, we rob ourselves of immense and timely help. So what about you? Where are you at with God? In the hardships you face, in the hardships you observe, are you making space for God? Are you coming to His throne of grace? Or does your life display a practical atheism? Does your lack of prayer show your true colors? Do you say with your mouth, yeah, I believe in God, but any lack of prayer simply points to something else, that actually deeper down you believe you can do without Him, that you don't really need Him? In Huddle recently, which is one of our discipleship groups, We've been exploring the rhythms of our life. 
We've been talking about the balance of our relationships, and in the midst of that, we're just beginning to hear both the invitation and challenge of Jesus to order our lives according to His wisdom. I wonder, brothers and sisters, do we need more of the same in our own lives? And I don't simply mean going to Jesus and with lots of words, good though that is and necessary though that is. Because one of the things I've been learning in recent months is just the value and the discipline of silence and solitude. And so every day I will try and spend 10 minutes in silence before the Lord saying as little as I can. Seeking Him in that place vulnerably, honestly, and as much as I can with a heart of worship, though it's easily distracted. And it's only been a couple of months, but I can tell you those, those 10 minutes are making a difference because they are a means of grace in my life. But I not only spend some time in silence, I do pray as well. I pray for the day ahead. I pray for my family. I pray for some close friends. And I pray for at least two families in my pastoral grouping every day. So that by the end of the week, I pray for my whole pastoral grouping every week. And that's my way of approaching the throne of grace for myself and for these others, that we all might know the grace of God. And I wonder, friends, are you creating space? Are you creating space for God in approaching His throne? Because he calls us to be a family, and a family is there for one another. And so will you seek God? Will you come to his throne, both for yourself and for one another, that together with Paul we might confidently say the grace of Jesus is sufficient? And though we are hard-pressed on every side, we are not crushed. And though perplexed, we do not despair. And though we may face persecution, we are not abandoned. And even if we are struck down and our life is given in the cause of Jesus and His gospel, we are not destroyed. We are not destroyed. For we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And we shall know His glory and the glory of His kingdom for His grace is sufficient. Let us pray. God's right here, right now. Is there an area of your life where you need to come before the throne of grace? And maybe just in the quiet of your heart, tell him what that is. It might just even be one or two words. He knows what's on your heart. He knows where you're breaking. He knows where you're doubting. And he wants to meet you now with his grace. Lord, for whoever is upon our heart or whatever situation breaks our heart maybe today, 
for whatever it feels like it's just too much and we, we wonder how will I cope and when will this end? Father, we ask afresh for your grace, your power to uphold us, to hold us fast, both now and always. For we ask it in Jesus' name.